It's a Shot in the Arm podcast, and I'm your host, Ben Plumley. This is a podcast about global health and human rights, and particularly how revolutionary change in technology or the emergence of new disease can either bring people together or rip us apart. And we're brought to you in partnership with the Bay Area Global Health Alliance, a group of tech, biotech, other private sector, NGOs and community organizations based in the San Francisco Bay Area and all committed to improving the health of people worldwide. You can find more about the Alliance at www.bayareaglobalhealth.org. Now, in this episode, we meet Hima Budaraju. Hima is the Director of Product Management at Google. She was one of the early supporters of the Alliance and, to me, is a fascinating leader because she makes technology a force for good in society, particularly in health. For her, it's not concept, it's reality. And for those of us born and bred in public health, her worldview, formed through a career in technology product development, is refreshing and compelling. So please join me in welcoming Hima Bujaraju to a Shot in the Arm podcast. Hi, Hima. How are you doing? Hi, Ben. I'm doing well. Thank you. So first question, can you tell us what your role at Google actually involves? Yes. Um, I'm going to answer a different question first. I'm going to say, this is how my kids call me by my name. They also go, hey, Ma. So that's the simplest (laughs) way. (laughs) So my role at Google Maps. I joined the Maps team just over a year ago as a product leader. For quick context, Google provides Maps in more than 220 countries and territories and surfaces helpful information for 200 million places and counting. My happy place is the intersection of technology, product, and social impact. When I encountered Google Maps, I was just blown away by the sheer number of people who were using Maps in ways that I never knew were possible to make such a difference to people and the planet. Ben, you and I have been through many discussions and we've talked about the world has a lot of urgent societal and environmental problems to address, be it gender equity, access to healthcare, rising temperatures, you got it. When COVID hit, it makes each of these problems that much harder. So in my role at Google, We've occasionally asked ourselves, how can we help build a more resilient world? And we try to answer this question by understanding where can we bring unique geospatial capabilities? Where can we reach people who need trusted and accurate information? Where can we empower our partners? My role at Google and my team's focus is for building products and tools to address social and environmental challenges at scale all over the planet. Now, Hima, you mentioned geospatial. Can you, uh, for, for those of us that um, perhaps don't understand that, can you talk about that concept a bit more and what it means? I'll actually explain it in the way that I understand it. It's about space and understanding the representation of the real world in a digital forum. How do we get the most information about the places that we all see? How do we represent maps? in the physical world, but in a digital environment. That's what geospatial information means in this context. 
you're basically connecting people to information, not not just geography. And, and this applies in our daily lives, but I'm sort of thinking about it in terms of crisis, obviously COVID-19, but it could be earthquakes, fires, or flooding. Could you talk a bit more about the the approach MAPS takes to this sort of connection of people and information? So creating a map is, is a pretty tough task. When you think about understanding and organizing the endless information in the physical world as it happens on a map, it's an incredibly challenging feat, even in normal times. And then you add something like COVID that causes like a tidal wave of volume and scale of change. And then it makes the work of maps and Google Maps that much more relevant as to how do we reflect all of the simple changes that we see, be it how we shop now, how we eat now, and how we move around in the world. So let me give you a few examples then in terms of how would Google Maps make a difference in connecting people to information that is life-saving in some ways and empowering in others. So here are a few. When you think about COVID testing centers, we worked with governments and public health officials and now have more than 29,000 COVID testing centers in 21 countries and all 50 U.S. states on Google Maps and Search. You may have also recently come across Google's vaccine commitments. Mm. And as part of uh, this initiative, we are starting to show vaccine site information on Maps and Search, starting with the U.S., In terms of other examples, we worked with the Indian government to surface thousands of food and night shelters to help people who are migrating across the country. Let's switch tracks for a bit. How about local businesses and small entrepreneurs? So MAPS plays a pretty big role in helping the merchants adapt to the changing needs as well as for communicating with their customers. So think about takeout and delivery online businesses, gift cards, donations. I can keep going on like this in so many, so many different examples. So I would actually say, while these are only a few examples, since the start of the pandemic, we've added more than 250 new features and improvements to Google Maps. We could not have been prepared to address these changes has it not been for 16 years of work to create a living, breathing map that reflects the latest in the constantly changing world? So you were born in India, a country I'm really passionate about. And I, I, I you mentioned um, the private sector in India. And in fact, the Confederation of Indian Industry played a pivotal role for the late ambassador Richard Holbrook and I in creating the Global Business Coalition on HIV and AIDS. And my gosh, that that's 20 odd years ago. Um, could you share a bit about your early life? Where were you where you were born and and, and your early family life? Indeed. Uh, so I'm from the south of India and uh, was born in Hyderabad. Um, I've lived in multiple cities, including Hyderabad, Mumbai, and Kolkata. Uh, and my basic uh, educational background is electronics engineering with a master's in business. I've also worked for the last 20 plus years and had the amazing fortune of working for iconic companies like Oracle, Nokia, 
Amazon, eBay, and more. A um, few things that I bring back from my roots is wanting to serve the end customer deeply, wanting to serve people who have a different social demographic status, a different culture, multiple languages. So I think a lot of my early product thinking is based on how do I acquire new skills and knowledge, earn experience and reputation as a product manager, and start building products that impact millions of people. Now, like in the early years, I was also a young mom and a mom to my daughter and son in their toddler years. So the first 10 years of my work experience was um, establishing roots, establishing roots, moving away from India in a new country and getting my product shops going. I would say the last 10 years is where I think, personally, I'm, a, I'm in my element in so many ways because you have to think about building products that can be used globally with a clear impact at scale. And again, going back to my roots, I really would like to solve for a world where any product is possible for any audience. Um, I've, I've had the privilege of working on products such as the Amazon Kindle, uh, the motors and uh, different verticals at eBay, the PayPal wallet, Facebook events, and so on. The last five years have been focused on social impact mm. and using technology for good with a passion for public health. And I'm just thrilled to be at Google, and it's a privilege to serve billions at scale. What, what drew you to product development um, rather than, say, rather than, say, a career in medicine or a career um, in anything else. But what is so exciting to you about product development? Oh, you hit a sore spot for me right there. <laughs> <laughs> if I could have been anything, I would have loved to be a medical doctor. If circumstances and life turned out differently, that was what I wanted to do. So I think the desire to work on public health is a lifelong one. Um, the next best is technology, I suppose. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, so uh, while the entry into technology was circumstantial, I moved over from India to the United States. The passion for public health is something that's very deep-rooted. After uh, 2012, 13, I, the la some of the years have been fairly turbulent personally for me and uh, I lost both my parents in quick succession. Um, and then in uh, 2016, my son had a terrible burn injury and I was tending to him um, for two months in an ICU. He's good. He's actually yeah. recovered and, and, is, uh, and is back. When my son came back and bounced back, and during the months of his recovery, I had plenty of time to reflect and to compare the health services that my parents had in India to the care that my son had here in the U.S. And in all instances, my conclusion is that like, there's a tremendous opportunity for the tech sector to make a significant positive impact on public health. So when I went back to work, and at that point I was at Facebook, I was resolved to work on the intersection of tech, social impact, and public health. And one of the initial forays was the work we had done on blood donations. Mm. So that's a personal story, but I, 
I, I think there's a way to make a difference, uh, especially this year has shown us that, that technology does play a role. Absolutely. I, I want to come on to blood donation in a moment, but isn't it interesting that uh, one of the ways that technology really right across the world has transformed the way we provide health is through telemedicine, the use of records. And, you know, I think I might have mentioned this to you in the past. I'm on the board of a organization in Oakland that has really exploited Google Maps, uh, Geo, to, to share with people where, where there are food banks, um, where they can get COVID testing, where they can find PPE. And, and that has just been breathtaking for me. Have you, have you been surprised that um, technology in this way has, has done so much so rapidly? I would say, yeah. I, I think um, when I started or when I thought about Google Maps, um, most of my usage was to do with transit or directions mm -hmm. and the occasional food ordering. I think the course of the last year working with partners like the organization that you're on the board of, uh, working with scientists, working with governments, the ability to use maps and capabilities that have to do with the geospatial information, they change. It's not just convenience or transit. It is empowerment. It's economic opportunity. It is safety. It is planetary health. It is, um, in some ways, response to natural disasters. Mm. So absolutely. So I think my the lens with which I look at technology and maps has fundamentally changed in in terms of what happened over the year of the globe for the last year, but also in terms of our responsibility to how do we use technology to go make this dent. Hima, it's fair to say that I think that you pioneered the use of technology to improve access to blood donation, particularly in India and Brazil. And I can recall many of my stuffy old public health uh, colleagues complaining about how awful it was to promote blood donation on social media platforms. And yet, what we've actually learned is that these platforms are some of the darn best, most effective ways of reaching people and encouraging donors. So uh, I, I guess, what did you learn from this experience? I'd like to respond in three parts, Ben. The first one is the team. I was fortunate to work with a team that incredibly was passionate about this problem space. And yes, it was uh, it was an interesting experiment in the product line to go build a product for blood donations, but I'm happy for the team that I was on. Mm -hmm. The second one is, let's talk about the problem. What is the problem you're trying to solve? Every country needs a healthy supply of voluntarily donated blood. And roughly that translates to about one to 3% of that country's population should be donating blood regularly. This doesn't happen. More than 70 countries in the world have a stated shortage, India and Brazil being some of them. Even in countries like the US, there are occasionally shortages and it's always a quest to find ways to bring donors in to voluntarily donate blood. So what were the three insights that I've learned through the product of blood donations? 
The first one is the ability to build community because you have to feel like you're a part of the larger context and with like-minded people who really want to go and help the planet. So one tactic to be able to do that is like register to be a blood donor together with this giant community. Millions of people around the world have signed up to be blood donors on a social media platform now. The second one is improve communication, increase the authenticity of the information, who's a trusted source, it's your local blood bank, and make sure that you have a trusted signal coming to you, be it an emergency need or be it an evergreen need. And we make it very, really possible to use the power of this social media to increase the, the volume of that communication. And the third one I call is convenience. Most people really are good. They would love to help others out. The thing that kills altruism sometimes is traffic. Mm. And how do we actually make it possible for people to think about blood donation as convenient as it is to go to an ice cream store maybe or to go to a movie? So the idea is like, here's a blood drive right next to you. Here are some options to you. How about you schedule an appointment at, at your will? So we bring the convenience. Those three insights, community, communication, and convenience, helped us build a pretty strong product for, and using the power of social media, of course, to, to increase the number of people donating blood. And as I listen to you, you are very explicit in saying, you know, th this is how we're going to make sure this is going to remain altruistic. Um, you, you've got a concrete strategy right at the start to address that. Um, and, but, you, you know, I think that, uh, again, some of the public health naysayers at, at the start were thinking, well, you know, by going onto social media, this puts the risk of people, you know, trying to make a buck or two. Um, and and so it's very interesting to me that, that this was part of the um, the the strategy right from the right from the start to promote this sense of community and altruistic behavior. Um, do you think there's something fairly unique about social media platforms that encourage that in, in that, you know, it's public, it's all out in the open? Well, I think, um, yes. So I think there are two instances. One is it's public it is open, as you say, and there is a network effect that these social media platforms bring. Um, and, and I think good multiplies when other people see the good being done, and then it carries forward. The second one is your own role, because your friend circle, your extended family, they sometimes your values reflect on them too. So the fact that they can actually see someone they trust and know donate blood, creates this chain effect of taking over, taking away inhibitions that people may have had, taking away misconceptions or perceptions that they may not be able to do this. So all we need is a few strong voices that cascade and create this ripple effect. And, and again, I actually think this is one of the effective mechanisms for public health messages. Yeah, I completely agree. I I think it's it's absolutely moving in this direction. It's giving us much more sophisticated, but actually much more much more accessible tools. The other thing that you said 
earlier on that I, I, I think really resonated with me was the connection you made between the environment, climate and health um, and the role that technology has in linking those and, and, and forging a response. And, you know, if I look back over the last year, I, I've become really deeply influenced by the One Health movement. Um, you know, Peter Daszak from the EcoHealth Alliance, he's actually now in Wuhan as part of this WHO mission. Um, and of course, the other great leader here is our own Jonna Mazet from UC Davis. My gosh, it's almost a year ago that she was on this podcast. Gosh, what a year. Um, but, but to come on to the Alliance, you were an early champion, um, really of the connection between tech, biotech, academia, and community. Um, you know, what, what are your hopes for what the Alliance can do going forward? And, and, and why do you think this, this kind of uh, coalition, this kind of alliance is so important? Well, um, think about, I see the Alliance as a few um, combinations coming together. People who can influence large-scale policy changes, people who can influence creative thinking and can foresee 10 years out, and people who can make the future happen. So when you put those three together, changes in policy, the ability to forecast the future, and the ability to make the future happen now, to me, the alliance is a combination of that. Together, the alliance brings a 360 view of the most relevant global health policies, challenges, gaps, and solutions. I tend to speak in threes, so I'm going to go with three again. The three things that I'd like to see the Alliance achieve. Community. It's really important that we feel that we are part and parcel of a growing group of professionals and academicians and policymakers who really believe that these problems are worth solving. Two, collaboration. It's not always true that public sector educational institutions and private sector and tech come together and then we start working. How do we bring that together? And the last one, as a product builder, impact is the one thing that we care about. You know, like I, I think the adage is true, right? Do not mistake motion for progress. Right. I really, really would like to say this unique composition of the alliance has to contribute to solutions where we can have measurable impact. So my three things for the Alliance, community, collaboration, and impact. And I hope we'll actually see more of it this year and more. Yeah, I, so I'm, I'm reflecting on that. And, um, you know, motion should not be uh, mistake, mistook for, for progress. Um, and I suppose, you know, one of the things I would love to know from you is, Given your given your career, given where you are now, what excites you most in terms of the future of technological innovation and its impact on health? Where's the field going, do you think? Um, I'll come back to something that it's a term that you've taught me, Ben, planetary health and public health, right? So I would say let's actually talk a little bit both about, about both these areas. So technology and its impact on planetary health. The ability to help reduce carbon emissions is something that I fundamentally believe in, that technology could 
it's not only enables tools for governments for policymakers but also everyday citizens how do we make sustainable choices it also is a sector where like the tech companies for sure but every corporate can play a role in figuring out how do you have energy saving hmm. processes and infrastructure built in so i would again when i think about the role of technology can we provide insights and tools for various sectors to take charge of the carbon footprint that they have and really commit to reducing it and be able to look in our grandkids eyes and say we did better we it's a campfire rule right did we leave the yeah. world a better place than we found it yeah. and i hope that technology really makes a difference and that part of reduction of the carbon emissions is also sustainable sourcing and making sure that we have conservation we have like a um a cap on deforestation so there are tons of things that we can actually do in earth sciences in uh, in addressing challenges the other one when i think about is health in public health i think this year will be the year of vaccines and i think how do we how do we bring the right information to people we all care about the health of our loved ones and our own personal health how do we help people make choices by bringing the right information to them by making sure that there is credibility built in because some of these choices will last for generations in terms of whether we can quickly eradicate this pandemic and the next one and the next one i also think of uh, areas adjacent to public health such as air quality how should we think about air quality and its impact how should we think about trees and air quality and public health so to me i i am just privileged and honored to be in a role on the maps team at google who's got both the conscience as well as the charter to go make a difference to both the planetary health as well as to public health and some part of that has to be measured in terms of the significance of um, what we brought and the impact ben so i hope that two years down the road i come back to this podcast and be able to tell you ben we got a few things done yeah long way to go but that's where i'd like to go yeah well i'm i'm going to hold you to that um as we bring this sort of closer in and 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 sort of bring the the map down to the local level if you like um obviously this year these these next uh 10 11 months are so crucial in um getting the vaccine out around the world or vaccines out around the world and you know continuing to protect um and prevent the spread of covid what what do you think are the most important things that um you know the technology sectors particularly can bring to this this moment in global public health um there are a few top of mind for me and my world view might be limited to what i am aware of ben so this is by no measure comprehensive but this is i think what i th- what i believe would be some of the some of the things that will make a change credible information scientific 
data and evidence and letting people make their choices. I don't think this is like a tough pill for people to swallow if you actually present the information in the right way. Right. Um, facilitation of the vaccine movement. How do you actually bring, how do you make sure that the vaccine supply and demand is matched? Can we build better tools as a tech sector for governments to plan where to deploy their vaccines or where to deploy their health workers? Uh, how do we make sure that the misinformation that comes through is kept at the minimum because there is an equal amount of fear and distrust that mm. could be created fairly easily too. Um, and how do we make sure that that stays at bay? Um, so I think across the set of things that here and now locally for the next 12 months, better information, strong partnership with credible sources, keeping misinformation at bay, and then providing true facilitation to match supply and demand. And the last thing that I would really like to emphasize is equity. Making sure that it is not just, sometimes in health, 80-20 is not good enough. You really have to get to the 20. None of us are immune if all of us are not vaccinated, right? So I think, how do we make sure that we are also solving for equity, be it different pockets of the U.S., or be it different parts of the world, how do we make sure that everybody has the right opportunity? So that's yes. where my head is at. Yeah, absolutely. And particularly in an infectious disease, in a pandemic like this, none of us are safe until all of us are safe. Um, and um, I, I, I really think that, you know, for us that are, are heavily involved in promoting um, access to vaccines, um, it's it's a really interesting challenge that um, uh, equity is not restricted to, let's say, what was called the developing world. Um, difficulty in getting or, or, or challenges in getting access to vaccines are here right now in our communities. Um, you know, I spent the weekend trying to help some uh, friends and uh, local family access uh, how they got to access a mm. COVID vaccine here in, in Northern California. Um, and, good, you know, it brought me right back to uh, the early 2000s access to treat HIV treatment work. Mm. So finally, um, Hema, we're coming up to the, to the top of the hour. And, you know, what you have described uh, and how you present your passion is is really breathtaking. And, and I, I just sort of wonder how you and your family are staying um, serene and sane during this crazy time. Um, and in particular, is there any TV you can, binge watching TV you could recommend? <laughs> <laughs> so my kids are now grown up, uh, Ben, but I have to point this out. My son grew seven inches in the last year alone. Wow. And he started at six feet, just, just so that you know. And now my daughter drives and she's got admission to the college. So I'm like, wow, this, this year has flown. And uh, uh, I'm grateful to have a family that stayed healthy through all of that. So in terms of binge watching, we've never watched Survivor 
for the 20 years that I have been in the US. And it's the one thing that the family watches together. It's one episode a day, rain or shine. Everybody just sits and watches and then we discuss. It's been fun. Uh, and and then I personally watch medical emergency room dramas because I that's, that's my vicarious uh, fulfillment of the profession that I didn't join. So Chicago, med, go for it. So one of the biggest contributions I am so grateful to uh, to Google and YouTube uh, to my life is connecting me to world music, which I've loved. But, you know, when you go to CD stores in your early 20s, you, you know, record stores, they don't have necessarily all the music you want. And this last year, uh, and I know uh, our producer and director, Eric Esper, is going to roll his eyes when I say this, but I discovered the Japanese electro-funk band Kirinji, and I even got up and watched a live stream concert at like 2 a.m. last September. And um, it just goes to show how... Uh, how much of a challenge it, it 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 still is for me. But only yesterday, Hima, did I understand that what they were doing was actually a farewell tour. And this new band that I got really interested in was just, you know, packing up shop. I will join Eric in rolling my eyes. <laughs> so, look, is there anything that we've missed that you consider... Uh, the Shot in the Arm podcast audience really ought to ought to know or that you're burning to share with us? Uh, first, thank you for being such an incredible host, Ben, and for being an inspiration through your work and through your service to the Alliance. I'm, I'm really happy that our paths crossed and that, that we stay together on the, whatever the next journey that we are embarking on for the next few decades. Thank you for everything that you do. Uh, in terms of the audience for this podcast, I fundamentally believe that technology is a force for good and that it's a responsibility to make it so. I, since I love the idea of public health and blood donation is one of them, I would say that uh, like I'm really optimistic about the role of technology mm. and its impact on public health, so much so that even my blood type is B positive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good one. That That's Hima, that is the way to uh, end this show. Um, you are a shot in the arm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ben. So our thanks to Hima. Our thanks also to uh, Eric Espera, our director and producer from Newstock Media, who's helped us navigate the uh, ups and downs of the technology in, in this recording. Our thanks to Sarah Anderson from the Bay Area Global Health Alliance and our thanks to our executive producer, Sean Howell. Well, finally, a thanks to you. If you have any questions or suggestions about this or any other shows, don't hesitate to contact us through our Facebook or Twitter at, Sean Pod, uh, at, at Shot Arm Podcast. I can say this. Um, and finally, if you would like to help us, Give us five stars and leave us a review on Google Play or Apple Podcasts. It'll help us spread the word. Well, have a great week and a safe week, everyone.